Welcome to the Yaruki Zero Games Podcast, Episode 18, Cell Style, with Jake Richmond. podcast after how many however many months i don't even know anymore um <laughs> so i'm here with jake richmond and we're going to talk about uh, amongst other things the, his new cell style games so uh i decided to kind of try something new for the interviews both just kind of to make it a little more interesting and to get more used to talking to whoever i'm talking to since i often interview people in other parts of the country uh, so, Jake, I wanted you to bring up some neat thing of, that you were interested in of late and tell us a little bit about it. Oh, God, a neat thing I've been interested in? <laughs> yeah. Okay, uh, food carts. Okay. I've been totally interested in food carts. Uh, in Portland, we have tons of food carts. Like, looking out my studio window right now, I can see three hmm. of them. And it's becoming its own uh, culture thing. Huh. Uh, you, you go to a pot of food carts, and there'll be like 20 of them scattered around. And, you know, you look around for your fried pork chop or your peanut butter pie or whatever you like, your, you know, vegan Mexican food. And if you don't see it in that pot of 20 carts, you go down the street to the next pod. Wow. Yeah, there's yeah, I, I've never heard of anything like that around here. So that's an, another... Yeah thing on my list of things to do if I ever get up to Portland. Oh, yeah, no, you should totally come and check it out. We can go from pot to pot. Uh, my brother Nick and I are talking about opening a noodle cart huh. because uh, right down the street from where I live is a noodle supplier who, I kid you not, sells the best no- uh, rice noodles in the world. And we're very tempted to, you know, buy their rice noodles, walk them down the street to our cart, which we don't have, um, you know, fry them up, sell them. And we're going to call the whole thing Medusa Noodles. <laughs> of course. Yeah. I, yeah, I don't even know what to say about that. That's just all kinds of amazing. Well, all right. So that, that's where my interest is right now. That's what I've been thinking about for the last 24 hours. Wow. Okay. And see, my, my head has been all in Slayers and stuff. <laughs> the, Slayer? Yes, because I, I read the Dragon Half manga, which is very obscure and underrated. And okay. got inspired to write an apocalypse world hack called Dragon World, which is about 90s comedy fantasy anime type adventures. Or the alternate sure. way I put it is it's a game about the silly parts of your D&D game. Okay, well, that's awesome. So I've been kind of immersing myself in the source material for the past few weeks. So, yeah. Well, all right, that's totally great. <laughs> And, you know, it seems like every time I go to an anime convention um, and there's any role-playing ball, somebody, well, not even somebody, like half the people there want to play Slayers or, hmm. you know, something like Dragon Half. Mm-hmm. Well, the, the way I put it is, you know, people talk about, like, oh, any game can be anime. Well, you know, 
Mm. The way I put it is, D&D is like when you aspire to play Record of the Lotus War and you usually end up getting Slayers. Yes. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think that's pretty accurate. <laughs> okay. But I, oh, hmm? I was just going to think that's an inherent problem with the idea that any anime Yeah, I... You know, in, any food can have peanut butter on it. <laughs> yeah, I can think of some unappealing combinations, but... Sure. Sure. Although it, it it is really weird to me how well it's working hacking of all things Apocalypse World to be Dragon Half, but it really is working. Well, I can kind of see that, and um, I mean, certainly Apocalypse World is a really, really sturdy game. Mm-hmm. You know, so I, I can totally see that working. Yeah, well, it's, it's partly just you know I end up writing moves that go like, and on a miss, you look stupid in front of everyone. <laughs> All right, well, that's what it takes. It takes somebody who actually um, understands how this works mm-hmm. to be able to, to write something like that as opposed to you know, somebody who really, really wants to play this but doesn't have a really good idea what's what it's going to take to make it actually work. Mm-hmm. All right, so uh, why don't we move on? Um, sure. So first of all, um, since I think that not everyone knows, why don't you... T- tell our listeners a bit about what cell style actually is. I mean, I already know because, you know, I'm on the mailing list and all that, but... Sure. Uh, cell style was conceived as a label for anime and manga-themed games. Uh, it's a collection of games by different publishers and different designers. And cell style is just a front. It's a way to get the games out there. It's a name to collect all the games under. Each of the cell style games is anime and manga-themed or... Uh, Asian cinema themed, you know, in some cases video game themed, Mm -hmm. but they all kind of fall under, well, they all kind of fall under the umbrella of stuff I like. (laughs) And I assume that, you know, if I like them as an enormous, you know, fan of this kind of stuff of, um, as a longtime anime fan and manga fan and whatnot, I I assume other fans with some interest will also like them. Uh, so the idea was together all, all these games uh, made Panty Explosion, Blitz Stage, a bunch of other games under one umbrella, promote them as a group. And if you like this game, if you're really enjoying this game, you're also very, very likely going to like these other games. Mm-hmm. And, and just make it really, really easy for fans of one game to connect with the other games and to promote them as a group. Mm-hmm. Um, now, there's, there's some kind of tent poles here. Um, in the sense that uh, all the self-style games are pretty damn easy to learn, you know, mm-hmm. uh, there some some of them are your books, some of them are ridiculously small books, but all of them have a quality that makes them fun to learn and quick to learn and easy to learn, as opposed to you know a lot of role-playing games. I've been playing role-playing games for years and years and years, and I hate rule books, and I can't stand sitting down with a rule book and slugging through two hundred pages to try to figure something out. And um, thankfully, the self-style games, uh, even the larger ones, don't do that. They uh, make learning really, really easy and really fun. Uh, so that's one of the main qualities. The other, the other quality, of course, is that uh, these are all games that appeal to anime and manga fans, which I think makes them really, really approachable um, and really, really fun. So that's kind of what self-style is in a nutshell. Okay. Uh, before we jump into talking about your new games, what other games of a f- under cell style that people might not have heard of do you think are really neat? Okay, well, um, we've got a lot of stuff going on right now, but uh, the newest release that I have nothing to do with is Anima Prime. Mm-hmm. And Anima Prime is by Christian Griffin, and it's a 
it's a game that's meant to emulate the later Final Fantasy games, and by that I mean Final Fantasy X, uh, XII, XIII, and that kind of feel of uh, giant, you know, giant swords and really cool, slick-looking heroes, and uh, you know, giant mech suits doing amazing things. Like that. It's a complicated, or it's a complex game without being a complicated game. It's a nice big hefty rule book and at the same time it's you can sift through it really really easily and just jump right into play uh christian also wrote beast hunters which came out a few years ago Mm -hmm. uh if you played if you played that it's very very much like playing a one-on-one session of monster hunters um the ps2 game Mm -hmm. um tulip academy is also fantastic that came out two months ago it's by nick smith who also uh uh, co classroom deathmatch and it's Tulip Academy is short for the Tulip Academy for Dangerous Gentlemen. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Yeah, I have that in front of me. So. Yeah. yeah, well, of course you know this. Um, and it's a fantastic game. Nick was heavily, heavily inspired by Oron High School Host. So it's mm. a game about um, elegant and dangerous young gentlemen doing amazing uh, things. And both of those games are fantastic. And I don't think a lot of people are playing them yet. Yeah, um, I, I'm doing the. I mean, I'm. This is this podcast is doubling as an interview for Miniant, the which I'll link to in the show notes. The m i n i e n t dot net, the new site, and you know, you know, talking on IRC, uh, the other guys involved in that are really impressed by Tulip Academy and, and just really looking forward to trying it out. Even if playing it on IRC is going going to be really interesting for them. <laughs> I can only imagine. Um, Tulip Academy is Tulip Academy is a game about jumping the shark. It's kind of it kind of comes with a ramp pre-installed. Mm-hmm. It's it's completely crazy and completely great. And yet, if you rein yourself in a little bit as you play it, if you don't let yourself go completely overboard, you can get a really really interesting game out of it with a lot of really interesting plot and really interesting characters. Hmm. Or you can go completely, completely crazy and just have, you know, something. Well, it's an insanity instigator. You can just keep going and going and going and doing crazier and crazier things and one upping each other uh, to an extraordinary length. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Uh, most the, the most recent Tulip Academy I played, um, we had. Let me think. Our, our gentlemen were ambushed by the dangerous gentlemen fan club group of young women who uh, were obsessed with the uh, gentlemen sexually. And they kidnapped them and took them to the center of the earth where they tried to impregnate one of them. <laughs> uh, and we were only saved because uh, we went back in time and recruited Jules Verne to uh, come to the center of the earth with us and box a, a uh, velociraptor. Wow. Or in a box, I mean, fight him in a boxing match because yeah. that's the most gentlemanly thing we could think of. Of course. Yeah. And that, that was one of the more uh, totally insane games. Uh, several of the Chilip Academy games I've played have been much more focused, uh, you know, much more about uh, romancing young women and having epic sword duels and plotting them of the school and taking over small countries. <laughs> Okay, uh, so why don't we move on to then uh, your two new games? We have Penny Explosion Perfect and Girl Times Boy. So whichever one of those you want to talk about first. Uh, let's talk about Girl Times Boy first, since um, it's really on my mind. Now. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, Girl Times Boy is a shoujo dating sim game. Uh, it's if you've ever and not you specifically, but you know if anybody listening has ever played a dating sim game, you'll recognize it immediately. Mm-hmm. You have a you have a main character named Momoko, and she is new to high school. She's new to the outdoor high school, and she wants to fall in love. And, and she doesn't have to fall in love, but that's what she really, really wants. So what she's doing, she's going to ask three random people on a date. Uh, one of the people she asked is this very smart boy named uh, Takamichi. He, he's tall and fairly handsome, but kind of bookish. He's the smartest boy in school. Uh, there is Ichigo. He's tough. He has a reputation for being a little violent. He's the star of the basketball team. And the third one is the class president, Risa, and she is, you know, tall and beautiful and everybody loves her. So will ask each of them out in turn, and you'll go on a date. And the structure of the game is the player who plays Momoko and the player who plays her date will go on a date, and the other two players will act at the uh, GM of the date. They'll stop everything that happens in the date. They'll tell the characters. They'll describe everything. That happens, and at the end of each scene in the date, they'll offer a dialogue choice, just like in a dating sim game. So they'll say, Momoko, you can either do this thing, or you can do this thing. And the structure for the choice is always, um, Momoko can choose to do something really, 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 really embarrassing that will bring her closer to her date, or, you know, she can, she can refuse to do the embarrassing thing, and it'll drive them further apart. Mm-hmm. And there's been a lot of, uh, well, not a lot, but the, there's been a, a healthy thread about it on story games, and it also came up in the thread I started about comedy games, and they're saying that the uh, that choice between something embarrassing or something safe really lends an air of comedy to the game. It does. Well, all right, like all my games, it's designed to humiliate my friends. <laughs> um, that, that is my, that is the focus of all my games. And I want my friends to play it and be horribly embarrassed by it. Uh, but what, right, what I find is that when you give people the choice of doing something that makes them really uncomfortable or really embarrassed, it brings out role play that you would never actually otherwise get. Mm-hmm. So um, the choices are meant to be embarrassing. They're meant to be really good and really funny. And they're meant to, you know, everybody, if everybody at the table is laughing, blushing, or, um, you know, if they're doing it right, you've chosen the right choice. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've been playing at the local game store three weeks I, I didn't expect that people keep asking to play it and you know we get all kinds of great choices last week uh, let me think last week um, w- Momoko went on a date with uh, Takamichi and Takamichi accidentally bought some drugs thinking it was something <laughs> else wow Just, yeah I mean it was, it was completely crazy how we got in that situation so the choice we gave uh, Momoko was something like I'm not going to remember this exactly something like uh, Momoko you can you can slap the of his hand and say how can you do this uh, you are somebody else I can get you help if you want to I can't believe you have the horrible drug habit or you can say oh cool I want some <laughs> wow yeah so um, and that, that, that was a that was a pretty extreme choice. A lot of them are uh, typical embarrassing. You can kiss him, you can hold his hand, you can uh, say your volume up with him. So that and, that and that stuff's really great as well because um, get you mostly we're playing mostly when you play a game of this. In my experience, anyway, you're playing with people you don't play very well or you've just met that day. Mm. Um, 
and um, having two people who, you know, just met staring around the table with each other with each other, their hands held together saying, you know, confessing their love together is just a fantastic recipe for, you know, both horrifying embarrassment and also, you know, the warm feeling you get people have a really cool role-playing experience and, it, and it, they become friends afterwards. Hmm. Cool. Um, so the, the looking, flipping through the book in front of me, uh, I, I noticed that, you know, where you did all the art yourself for Penny Explosion, perfect. This one has art by Heather Arlington, which, you know, she has, she, she has a style that's pretty distinct from yours. And also, like Penny Explosion, there's the uh, instructional comic in the back. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, uh, well, first of all, I mean, Heather, Heather did a fantastic job with the mm. art. I, I was originally going to do it myself, but Heather contacted me and said, you know, she's a freelancer. She said, do you have any work for me? And I thought Heather is perfect for this. She's um, she's a talented young woman. She uh, has a style that's just great. And in the game of a bit of authenticity, it's not, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a three-year-old guy, so it's not me trying to imitate uh, what art would look like by a, you know, a, a, a young female shoujo artist. Instead, it's you know, an actually young female shoujo artist drawing the book, which I think is totally awesome. Um, one of the things I asked Heather to do was to uh, create a comic that would explain works, and she did a really good job. And the, and the, the purpose of that is that we wanted people to, instead of slogging through the book to figure out how to play the game, we wanted them to just be able to read a three-page comic and after reading that comic, be able to walk away, well, walk right into the game and start playing. Mm-hmm. So, um, if I run the game, what I do is I, I bring multiple and I hand them to everybody at the table and I say, let's take, you know, four seconds to read these three pages. And everybody does, and then everybody knows how to play. Mm-hmm. And the great thing about that is, I mean, you can, what I'm finding is we can hand it to people at conventions uh, while they're standing at a table, or uh, we can post the pages online. Or, you know, if somebody walks up to me and says, um, how do you play your game? I can, I can, you know, describe it to them really quickly and then just hand them the book. So it's a perfect way to get people really involved in the game really, really quickly. And it, it totally defeats the objection of, you know, we ask people, we say, do you want to join the game? They're like, oh, no, I don't want to learn a role the game. And we say, well, you know, read this. Mm-hmm. A few people will say, no, I don't want to take the time to read a bridge comic. <laughs> okay, uh, that's pretty awesome. So let's move on to Panty Explosion, if you're ready. Yeah. Okay, so uh, first of all, uh, this was one where we have a previous edition to compare it to. And Panty Explosion Perfect is it, it, really interesting to contrast the two because Panty Explosion Perfect is about half the page count. And it has a really different art style. It is much simpler in, in terms of the rules, because because uh, you you, uh, you did kind of a more almost a uh, much more realistic style, and I, I know that was partly because that was what you could manage at the time, and also right. um, I know like you got rid of a, a lot of elements from the original Penny Explosion as a game, like with the Godai and all that. So you know what what led you to make a prettier book that was half the size. <laughs> well, the original version of Panty Explosion, um, when Matt and I released it, it was, we thought, the very, very, very best game we could make. And that was back in 2005 or 2006, I think. Um, and we had never designed a game before, of course. 
so we tried to put absolutely everything we could into the game. You know, we thought, well, the game has to have a complicated character creation system. It has to have a really complex conflict resolution system. It has to have all these stats and dice. So we used as many dice as we could. And, you know, playing the game over the years, uh, playing it at conventions and playing it with friends and playing it at stores, what I've discovered is um, after the first few months, I stopped using all that stuff in the game. Hmm. I just cut the game down to just its very, very basics, which was you have a best friend, you have a rival, every girl takes turns having and there is a demon that's trying to keep you from getting what you want. Uh, so when we went back at the game, we went back with the idea to cut up everything that was, uh, for us, keeping the game from being fun and making it overly complicated and hard to mm. explain, and we just kept the very basic core. Um, and the upside and the, the, the downside to that is that when we actually wrote the game, we ended up with a book that was, um, you know, only a third of the length of the original book. Uh, uh, the, the original uh, book was like 100 pages, and the new book without the art was like 25 pages. Wow. I, yeah. yeah. So, um, to me, that was awesome because I hate rule books. Uh, I, I hate reading rules text. But I knew that um, maybe people didn't want to buy a 25 page book. So we thought, uh, let's pad this out with her. And um, what I had want, what I did, what we did with the original Pandy Explosion was we went for a really realistic look. Uh, it was never what I wanted for the game, but I was um, I was sick. And I, I had been hospitalized for um, a blood clot actually uh, when we produced the original book, and I just couldn't. Um, I just didn't have any kind of time to work on the art, so I we ended up using. Uh, a small set of illustrations that I had been uh, toying with at the time, which were uh, illustrations based on various photos. Uh, what this was was me looking at photos going on to reproduce the photo, but hmm. in pen and ink. Um, and it kind of looked, but it was also kind of sterile and dull. Hmm. I mean, so um, when we went back to redraw the book, knowing that we were going to have to put like of art into it. I thought, well, let's fill it with comics, let's fill it with manga, let's fill it with big, vibrant, full-color manga that shows what a game of panty explosion is about. So when you, when you open up the book for the first time, you open it up right in the middle of the scene where one of the schoolgirls with psychic powers is chasing down another schoolgirl, and the only way her friends can stop her is to cut off her head with a sword. Mm-hmm. Uh, but as soon as they cut off her head, they start flying around in the air and screaming that it's going to kill them because the girl has, of course, a removable psychic demon head. Mm-hmm. And that's what a game of panty explosion is like. It's uh, it's insane, but it's it's insane. It has stuff like floating demon heads and uh, you know cursed swords and uh, monsters. But it's it's rooted in relationships between the characters. It's rooted in the uh, crappy daily lives of the school girls you're playing. Mm-hmm. And we really wanted the art to reflect that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we we went ahead and went full color. Uh, I spent a year. Creating illustrations and comics for the, the book. Uh, some of the comics are like the JXP. Some of the comics are instructional. They tell you how to play the game. Mm-hmm. And uh, we also we also made sure that as you progress through the book, you would have uh, the book would teach you how to play, not just the rules text, but the illustrations and the diagrams. Uh, we would we would provide as much visual information as we could so that new players. Uh, could learn the rules just by flipping through and looking at the illustrations and wouldn't have to uh, rely on simply reading the rules text. 
because there's a lot of little like neat little diagrams showing stuff like one of my favorite is uh the one that's just like okay school girl yes school boy no cross-dressing boy yes teacher no yeah. robot yes with little a, a character for each one and a checkbox and that wonderful last thing was added to the book uh and it was because when we were sending out the uh proof copies for people to read who kept asking if they, they they would say well teacher can i play a boy you know mm. And, um, of course, that's not what the game is about. So we had uh, – and, you know, there's other charts. There's charts that tell you, uh, you know, what, what kind of what kind of uh, number you need to roll depending on your popularity. There's mm-hmm. charts that explain the friendship circle, which none of these are complicated things to explain. But if you have a new player at the table and you're trying to explain it, you need some playtime. And it's just much easier to push the book across to them mm-hmm. and point to a, a picture, which explains it right away. So uh, the the entire package is designed to be uh, very very playable, very very fast. Uh, we didn't want people to have to slog through an hour and a half of character design. Uh, we didn't want people to have to um, put a lot of prep into the game. We wanted people to just be able to sit down and start playing right away. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Okay. Well, when you put it that way, because you know, I, I know you had made your decision not to have a PDF version, and you had said that. Uh, it was basically because it was meant to be an artifact at the table, and I was going to ask, you know, what exactly about like Panty Explosion made that the case, and you pretty well answered that now. So, yeah, well, let me expand on that a little bit. Okay, um, I I have nothing against PDFs. I mean, a lot of my games are available as PDFs. Uh, you can go on sellstyle dot com right now and get a free copy of my game Classroom Deathmatch in PDF format, but. Um, Sitting at the table with all my friends and having a book to pass around the table is a really, really powerful role-playing game tool, and especially mm-hmm. when the book is uh, designed to be a helpful game prop to uh, teach the game as you're playing it. And in my experience, you know, some of my friends bring a computer uh, to their gaming and will have a PDF open, but most of the people I know who own PDFs, including myself, uh, they keep it to themselves at home on their computer or on their laptop. They don't pass it around the table. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it, it stops becoming a tool for um, for developing gameplay at the table, and it just becomes a tool for learning the game, which is totally fine. That's not what we wanted out of the book. Mm-hmm. Uh, we really want the book, Matt and I really want the book on the table when you're playing so that and if you ever play Panic Explosion with a group of people you'll get in a public place, you'll get people coming over and saying, what the fuck are you doing? Mm-hmm. Uh being able to show them the book and hand them the book and, you know, point to the comics inside, point to the diagrams and stuff um, is such an engaging tool that I think you'll find what I find at conventions that the people who come over and say, what the fuck are you doing, are really, really quickly sitting down at the table with you and mm-hmm. that you just made up on the spot. Hmm. So that's the goal. The, the goal The goal is that uh, the book is an entry tool that you have at the table yeah. that everyone can use. Yeah, for me, me personally, uh, I, I don't really know where to fall on that. What I am definitely really, really looking into is stuff along the lines of the playbooks from Apocalypse World. Yeah, yeah. That made a huge impression on me because it's just like, here, print this. Now your player has everything they need. Yeah, actually, I was really impressed by that as well. And, um, I mean, we were already pretty far into the development of 
what the book would look like at the time when I first saw the Apocalypse World playbooks. But when I saw them, I, I said, yeah, this is really, really, really helpful for me. And I actually went back at that point and redesigned her character sheets mm. to um, basically cram as much gameplay information in as possible on our tiny little sheets. Yeah, because it does... It, I'm, I'm looking at it right now. It's a popularity. Then you need to roll this. My best friend does this. My rival does this. Right. I, I wanted... I mean, because also, I mean, there wasn't a lot of character information in the game anymore. Mm. We cut out all the kind of extraneous character information. The Junishi stuff, the Godai stuff is all gone. And so instead, I wanted to use the character sheets as a, this is all the information you need to play your character. Mm-hmm. Kind of thing. Okay, cool. Um... So, um, next, I wanted to talk to you a bit about uh, your experiences selling games at cons, since you've been doing that a whole lot, and that's something I'm going to be getting into doing myself. And before we get into that too much, I know you talked about it on the, uh, what was it called? That one podcast you were on just recently. Oh, uh, Found in the Alley? Yeah. Uh, sure. I won't, but since you mentioned it in passing and people were asking about it, I wanted you to to, to recount the head-punching incident. Okay. Well, I've actually <laughs> been punched in the head twice over games. Uh, <laughs> I didn't know that. Yeah, only once for my game. Uh, the very first time I was punched in the head, I was working for Wizards of the Coast, and this was during the big Pokemon boom. Hmm. And um, this guy approached me, and he... I was working at a wizard's retail store and, and he approached me on the street and he started yelling at me, accusing me that we were like hoarding our Pokemon cards and not selling them to him. Mm-hmm. I had no idea what he was talking about because we were selling Pokemon cards like crazy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, before I knew it, I was laying flat on my back and I had a giant welt on my forehead where he had punched. Wow. Yeah, this was amazing. This is outside my, uh, at the time, my favorite comic shop, which was uh, things from another world in Portland. Anyway, um, Several years later, I was at uh, Gen Con. Uh, Matt and I were selling po- uh, not Pokemon Panty Explosion for the very <laughs> first time. It, it was the first time anybody had ever seen it. Uh, we were sharing a booth uh, with the Key Twenty people and uh, and the uh, women who make uh, Redneck Life. And um, this guy, uh, well, actually, this is, this is two separate stories. The first one is that this guy uh, who was wearing a homemade four chan T shirt came up to me and told me that he thought I was a giant pervert. And that just confused the hell out of me. Uh, but the second one was um, this woman approached me. Uh, she had her uh, daughter with me. Her daughter had been looking at the books earlier. And she comes up to me. And uh, she – at first I thought they were, she was interested in the books because uh, her daughter had been interested in the books. And then before I knew it, there was this kind of – you know, kind of this wet thump against my head. It was very reminiscent of the first time I got punched in the head, actually. Um it connected kind of like over my eye socket and uh you know she uh i can never i can never quite remember what she said to me but she was very very upset and uh she thought we were selling something we weren't selling she also thought we were selling a video game and um and her daughter looked very very embarrassed her daughter her daughter was a grown woman by the way i only know this was her daughter because she called her mom uh her daughter looked like she was in her mid 20s and they you know which is cool I, I go places with my mother mm. um, and then she walked away in what I can only describe as a huff and um, yeah it, it was it was really embarrassing I was I was surrounded by people who um, 
you know, I had spent most of that morning explaining to them that Panty Explosion was awesome, and then they had gotten kind of gotten caught up in it, and we were all, you know, shouting Panty Explosion, get your Panty Explosion, and then to mm-hmm. have that broken up by a um, a woman coming over and punching you in the face was really disconcerting. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but you know that didn't put a dampen on stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, we we sold a lot of books that weekend. The game was really well received. We went home and found uh, dozens and dozens and dozens of orders off our website. Uh, we got a lot of great press that weekend, and I'm really really proud to say that uh, not only was she the only woman that punched me <laughs> that weekend, but she was. Uh, one of very, very, very few people. I think there were only two or three other people who were visually distressed over the game. Uh, most of the hundreds of people we talked to were really, really excited and enthusiastic about it. Mm-hmm. Cool. So, yeah. <laughs> and right. I think that's the longest version of that story I've ever told. Uh, yeah, I'm sure you've told it many times. I have. All right, so uh, I'll tell, why don't you tell me a bit about uh, your convention experiences then, then aside, the violence aside. Sure. Uh, well, let me focus on SakuraCon since that's still fairly fresh in my mind. Um, Nick and I went up there with our friend Ben, who does the uh, great webcomic um, that I'm forgetting the name of at the moment, uh, Dubious Company. And the three of us were working in our booth right in the main SakuraCon hall. Uh, we had our display set up. We were ready to, you know, meet and greet people all weekend. And what we discovered is that, you know, people would walk up to our booth and they would look at our books and they would look at us and they would say, so, um, do I buy these on Xbox live? (laughs) Or they would ask if these were strategy guides and we would say, no, no, they're role-playing games. And they would be like, oh, okay. So how do I play them? And we'd be like, well, you get together with a group of friends and you sit at a table and you play the games and they go, okay, okay. So is it for the Xbox? Is it for the PlayStation? Mm -hmm. And, um, it seemed like no matter what we would tell people, we couldn't get people to accept the idea that these were, um, books that were actually games that you played with, uh, together in a physical space. Um, and it wasn't that people were immune to the idea of a, you know, tabletop role playing game. Uh, we would, we started asking, we started telling people right away, um, we start saying stuff, do you play role-playing games? And they'd be like, oh, yeah, you know, I play D&D, I play this and I play that. And we say, well, these are role-playing games, and it still wouldn't work. Uh, everybody we talked to was convinced that they were some kind of um, Xbox game or strategy guide or computer game. And that, that was a little frustrating. So uh, we started running games, of course. And once we started running games, people um, – so once we started running games and doing a little bit of demoing, people uh, got the idea – um, and uh, the people that we, of course, ran games for were really, really receptive to the games, and many of them bought copies of the games. But the big lesson we took away from SakuraCon this time is that you, we can't just tell people that our games are role-playing games. Uh, that doesn't mean to, to anime and manga fans, RPG does not mean what it means to, of course, uh, gaming fans. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which was a bit of a surprise for us, because we hadn't experienced that in other conventions we had gone to. Yeah, because there is a crossover, but, and, you know, I didn't, because, you know, I'd, I've very seldom gone to an anime con that didn't have, like, a tabletop gaming room, even if it's a lot of, you know, D&D and Magic and Yu-Gi-Oh! Right. And the Sakura-Con um, gaming room was actually pretty diverse. Um, I, there were a lot of RPGs happening there of all different kinds. There was a fair amount of D&D and Exalted and stuff like that, but there was also some big guys in Small Mouth and, uh... You know, other odds and ends stuff. 
And so my expectation was that there would be an audience that was much more aware of what we were doing. But I think what happened is people would walk up to us in our uh, – for, for your listeners who have never seen a cell-style game, I think Made is the only one that's of a traditional size. Mm-hmm. Uh, made is – I don't know. It's like it's like eight and a half by eleven and like two hundred pages. So right, and that's, and, um, and that's only because we packed in two supplements worth of extra adventures and optional rules. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, it, it totally looks like a role playing game that just has to, happens to have an anime made on the cover. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when people walked up to it and we said, when people walked up and picked up Made, and we said it's a role playing game, a light went on in their head and they totally got what we were talking about. However, most of the cell-style games are much smaller than that. Uh, Panty Explosion, Girl Times Boy, Tulip Academy, and several of the other books are these tiny little things that are like 8 by 5 inches mm-hmm. and like you know anywhere from 25 to 50 pages. Yeah, Tulip Academy and Girl Times Boy are 25 pages each. Right, so that's... right. and Panty Explosion is like 52. And they're these really small books, and people would walk up to them, and the size of the book... Uh, I think misled people, and it made them. It, they couldn't make the connection between the book and the role playing game experience. Mm. It just was a completely alien thing to them. And no matter how much we would try to explain it to people, um, well, really, what we had to do is we had to spend five or six minutes explaining what we were talking about before anybody would actually get it. Uh, but actually, that's not universal. We had several people walk up um, who got it right away, and of course, we had several people come up to us who uh, knew we were going to be there and had specifically come to buy the games mm. or talk to us. So that was nice. Um, so what we took away from SakuraCon was that we need a better way to present ourselves and to tell um, the audience we want to reach what it is we're doing. Uh, because what we did learn is that once we explained what we were doing and once we uh, were able to make it apparent what we were selling, there were a lot of people that were interested. Mm-hmm. Now, I mean, let me tell you the sad story, and I, I know I've already told you this, uh, but I think uh, the people listening will be interested. Uh, this happened to us several times. It happened to me, I'm going to say five times at the convention, and Nick said it happened two or three times to him as well, and Ben experienced it as well. Uh, there would be a, a young man or a young woman, usually a young woman, would approach the table, and she would spend a few minutes looking at the books. And she would pick up one she would like, and she would ask questions about it. And, uh, you know, we would tell her, we would explain that, you know, this is a dating sim game or this is a game about schoolgirls fighting demons or this is a game about maids or you know whatever this is a game about you know zombie cannibals and she would you know she, she would be visually excited visibly excited about it and she would say okay okay I'm gonna go get my she'd say I'm gonna go get my boyfriend or I'm gonna go get my game group or I'm going to go get my friends and I'm gonna bring them back here and she would she would come back 10 20 minutes later or half an hour later with this group of people and she would say to them she would say Look, look, you're always trying to get me to play role-playing games. Look at this. This is like this thing I like. It's like a, it, this is like this anime I like or this manga I like or this TV show I like. We can play this. They say it's really simple and easy to play. You can play it as a one-shot. Why don't we get this? And every single time the people she was with, usually the boyfriend, uh, would say something like, I don't want to do that. That looks stupid. Why can't we, why can't you just play D&D with me? Mm-hmm. It- and... Yeah, I yeah I I mean I actually played D and D and I enjoy it, but I don't I've never gotten why people are so like monogamous to it. Sure. Well, and it wasn't always D and D. I mean, sometimes yeah. it would um, another game, right? But in, mm. but in every single case, it was it was the boyfriend saying or the game group saying or in one case the girlfriend saying. Um, 
I already have some game I play. I think this looks stupid, and, and by you know by extension, I think what you're interested in is stupid. Mm-hmm. Why can't you just shut up and play? And, and sometimes they were really rude about it too. Sometimes they would say stuff like, "Why can't you just shut up and play the stuff I want to play?" And we would stand there. I mean, this happened. This, this happened several times, and Nick and I would stand there and look at each other and think, "Holy shit! Mm-hmm. How can you?" I mean, you know, if if, if my girlfriend uh, came up to me and said, uh, I'm really, really, really interested in this thing you do, or I'm really, really not interested in this thing you do, but I have found a way to be interested in it, um, I would say, well, thank God, you've, you you are making a huge, 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 huge compromise. You have found a way to be interested in my interests. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it, it's just, it's it's an insane approach. And um, in, in, in one case, out of those eight, out of those seven or eight or nine cases, in one case, we were able to convince them to buy a book and give it a go, and they and they actually came to and watched uh, one of the games we ran, and they it was hard to tell if they were really won over or not, but they came and they watched and they stayed for the entire time, mm. and they bought a book. In the other cases, though, it was just an, it was an insurmountable wall, and um, we'll be prepared for that the next time we go to a convention. We've we've worked out some strategies. For that but uh it was something that none of us had ever seen before and it was just kind of i mean even even now i'm flabbergasted by it i I can't imagine why you would be a complete dick to both to somebody you care about and somebody who obviously cares about you and cares about your interests and wants to be involved with also i mean i would totally rather play tulip academy or maid or anima prime than you know any of the games these as we're touting as the games they played all the time. Mm-hmm. So, but of course that's that's preference. Then. Yeah, yeah. Um. Okay. So, uh, the last thing that I wanted to talk about before I let you go was uh, what games and other crazy stuff you have planned for the future besides the noodle cart, of course. Oh, okay. Well, um, I think I can talk about this. I well, there's there's a bunch of stuff coming out for stuff. Um, and geez, I know you've been working on some stuff, and I don't. Mm. I, I assume you will happily go into that kind of stuff with your audience already. Yeah, uh, we're almost ready to finally go public with this project that I've been really, really excited about, but not yeah. quite yet. <laughs> okay, well, I, I have been very, very, very eagerly uh, looking forward to um, anything you plan to release. Uh, but as far as the rest of self style goes, I, I think it's safe for me to announce that um, Ben Lehman is um, releasing uh, the final version of Bliss Stage uh, later this summer. Awesome. So uh, you should be able to find that in August. Uh, we Heather and I are, and this is the first time I've announced this, Heather and I are uh, releasing a follow-up book to Girl Times Boy. It doesn't have a name yet. And it it is a boys' love uh, dating sim game. Um, we're also planning to release that in either August or early September. Uh, beyond that, um, I know Nick is working on a few new things, and uh, oh, and of course Nick and I are working on uh, the Magical Land of Yeld, which we plan to have completed by the end of the year, which is our giant uh, Final Fantasy Tactics slash Legend of Zelda. St- um, traditional role playing game. Oh, nice! I know you've been working on that for quite a while now. We've been working on it for years, and we're finally at the tail end of it. Cool. 
Um, and I, I, I hate to go into that too much, so I'll just say that um, we think it'll be done by the end of the year, and it's will be after that. It will probably be besides um, Anima Prime the only fantasy role playing game I ever want to play <laughs> because I'm conceited and I only like my own games. <laughs> um, yeah, and um, there's a few other there's a few other cell style games that are slated for release by the end of the year that I'm not supposed to talk about yet, mostly because you know. Uh, I've learned my lesson about. I spent all of last year telling people that Panda Explosion Perfect would be out next month. Mm. So I've learned my lesson about that, and I, I want to wait on talking about stuff until I know it has a firm release date. Mm. Uh, but definitely, um, the games I mentioned, uh, people should look forward to those. I think they're going to be awesome. Mm. Yeah. Definitely. Okay, so um, that was all the stuff I had to ask about. Is there anything else you wanted to discuss before we finish up? Um, hmm. I, I think that's about it. Okay, well then, in that case, uh, thanks. thank you very much for coming on the podcast a second time. And to all the listeners, I hope to be heard by you again soon. 